Tonight's reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. So take a second and turn there. Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Tonight, we're concluding Matthew chapter 14, and, uh, and I'm so glad that you're, you're okay, at least I haven't gotten any emails or texts, you're okay with us like walking through uh, books of the Bible, because what you'll see is like very applicable moments to your life, versus like I could just like, I guess I could do a very topical deal, and maybe like a whiz bang, like I'm going to, dating That'd be a shocker. Dating. Um, People would be like, I'm coming, I'm coming to that. But I promise you, if you'll walk with me through the scriptures, dating, finances, jobs, roommates, family, it all gets answered. The Lord meets us in these moments. And so tonight, as we look at this passage that Jesse just read, I want to give you kind of a snapshot. So this, this passage, Jesus walking on the water and calming the storm, getting the disciples across. It's in three of the Gospels. It, it is, uh, it's in uh, Mark chapter 6, and it's in John chapter 6. It's not in Luke, but so it's told in three different Gospels, and each Gospel has um, a little different perspective on what happened. And so the whole story is that John, Jesus discovers that John has been beheaded. His cousin, the prophet, his friend has been beheaded, and he takes his disciples. He's approached by a massive crowd. They are needy, and he has compassion on them, so he feeds them. That's the feeding of the 5,000, and that's just the men. Um, Jason preached last week, and he preached on that, that passage, and could have been up to 20,000 people. So he feeds those people, But then John 6.15 is a very interesting verse. It's not in the Matthew account, but it applies. John 6.15 says that Jesus perceived that they wanted to make him king. And so he immediately told his disciples to get into the boat. And then he dismissed the crowd. And then he goes away by himself to pray. And after he goes by himself to pray... Um, he knows that the, the disciples' lives are being threatened, that they're afraid, that they're in a storm. And so he goes and he walks on the water. One account, the Mark account, very interesting. And we're not going to get into this tonight, but it says he meant to pass them by. I don't know what that means. 
but I like that. Because um, I have that moment, and you do too. Sometimes you like see all the people and you're like, I mean to pass them by. Um, but you don't, and you end up staying later than you thought. Uh, and so, anyway, he meant to pass them by, but he doesn't. He shows up somewhere between three and six in the morning to these folks, and, uh, and they're struggling. He walks out, and he says three interesting things. He says, take heart, it is I, do not fear. Incredible words, and we're going to come to those in just a little bit. And then once on the other side, he is met by a group of people, and he heals many people, and they are healed by simply reaching and touching the corner of his robe. I do hope to talk about that someday, but that will not be tonight. So let's, let's, just, take, let's just take a look. I think tonight there's so many things we could cover, but we're going, to hit, we're going to hit four. And I'm not usually like a points person, so you don't have to remember this. Hopefully it flows enough that you're like, I got it. But if you're a points person, then I win for you. Um, but the four, the four things that I want us to hit is that Jesus, the king, I want us to hit on that idea for a minute. I want us to hit on Jesus, the man of prayer. I want us to talk about that for a second. The majority of our time is going to be spent in the storms because that is so... It's the heartbeat of the story, um, and it's so relevant to everyone's life. And then lastly, we're going to end with faith, bravery, and worship. So Jesus the King, let's just take a look. Um, It says in verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Now, Matthew doesn't include the the John 6.15 that I mentioned where he said he perceived that this 20,000 people wanted to make him king by force. He doesn't include that, but it's, it's okay because the theme of king and kingdom is huge in Matthew's gospel. That's, that's like the main theme of Matthew's gospel. How does the gospel start? Matthew is the gospel that starts with, it's got, it's got you know, he, he starts off with, with, he's got Herod in the background. I mean, you see this in Luke, you see the Magi, you see, you see his life starts with three kings. It's Jesus, the Magi, which are kings, and it's Herod. His life starts with a battle between who's the real king. Jesus teaches parables in Matthew 13 about the kingdom. In Matthew 16, Peter confesses that he is Lord. And then right after that, immediately after that, he, he, Jesus begins to tell them, I'm going to have to go to the cross and be killed. I'm going to be killed at the hands of these men. And, and Peter rebukes him. And Jesus says something very interesting in Matthew 16. He says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. For you do not have the things of God in mind, but the things of men. Peter knew this guy is supposed to be the king. But, but that's not what a king, a king doesn't die at the hands of men. The king crushes opposition. And that's exactly what Jesus was going to do. He was going to crush all of the opposition between God and us. He was going to be king of kings and lord of lords for everyone to see. But for that to be, for that to happen and for everyone to be able to see that, he was going to have to go and die a criminal's death, crucifying our sins, and then defeating death, which only the king of kings can do. And so 
So Jesus, the king, is a major theme in undercurrents in this story, but in, in so many of the gospel stories. It's the upside-down kingdom that, that he is proclaiming and showing. But I wanted you to, I just want to pay attention to one word here. This, uh, this word, let's see what color we have. Let's go, ooh, I like that. Immediately in hot pink. Immediately. Now, immediately, that's an interesting word. As soon as he perceived, this is what the crowd wants to do. He got his disciples out of there because he didn't want them corrupted. What we see is that in this moment, at the start of this passage, Jesus shows, I'm all about protecting you. And you say, well, yeah, but he, he sent them straight into a storm. Yeah, and, and they needed to be in that storm, but they didn't need to be in this other storm. So regardless of how it looks, even if it looks backwards and confusing, the way that the Lord orchestrates our lives, he is all about protecting his. And so he protects them from the get-go in this passage. And, uh, and then he, I think he was just taxed. And so immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. He dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed the crowd, I love this, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. So all alone, he's by himself, he's on a mountain and he goes up to pray. And I think this is, this is so beautiful. One of my favorite verses in, the whole, in all of, of the New Testament is Luke 5.16. Luke 5.16 says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And I love that. Like, I, I mean, I, I like the wilderness, and so I like that idea of a lonely place, a wild place. Um, but, you know, sometimes the other room that nobody is in can be like a lonely place if you're talking about just solitude. But Jesus, Jesus often did this. This was a pattern in his life. And so I, I don't know, I've often wondered about this. I can't say I've ever fully understood. I think this is the second time I've told you I didn't know something tonight. Uh, there's a lot of things I don't know. Um, but like, I don't know why he, I, I can only imagine all, some of the reasons. I don't know all the reasons that Jesus, who is God in the flesh, would continually pull away to talk to God the Father in the communion of the Spirit, but I think it was more than just modeling something for us. And that's what I've often heard, is that Jesus was modeling what a good prayer life looks like. I think this is more than modeling what a good prayer life looks like. And so I started to practice it. Sometimes the best thing you can do to understand something is to copy it. And so in college, I started going to Kennesaw Mountain. I, I went to Kennesaw State, and so um, I'm like ridiculously local. And, uh, and so like I went to Kennesaw State, and I would like leave class, and it's not that close to Kennesaw Mountain, but it's close enough, and I would go to, to Kennesaw Mountain, and I would hike up Little Kennesaw, I'd go up the backside, and I would do this often, and I would pray for our ministry. I would pray for, I actually was, as I've reflected on this, I'm pretty sure I was praying for you and praying for future people and future ministries, and we didn't know each other. We didn't know this night was going to happen, but you were prayed for years ago. And so prayed many things, but I also prayed for my wife there. And, and I, I nicknamed the place Prayer Rock because that was the rock I prayed on. Um, it's pretty complex. And so 
Anyway, but I mean, I have seen miracles happen when I've been alone with the Lord. I have vented to him. I have been broken before him. I have cried in front of him. I have been reminded. I've been convicted. I've been encouraged. I've been guided. I've been recharged. I've been recalibrated. And I think that's what's happening in these hours after finding out John the Baptist has died and after uh, feeding all these people and having compassion on them and then finding out that, that they twisted the whole thing and wanted to make him king. He sends his disciples away and he's just done. And he goes and he sits before the Father. And, and you and I should do the same. And by the way, one August day, I... Um, no, it was September. One September day, it was very hot. Heather was all cute because I told her we were going to go look at rings. And then I marched her up the backside of Kennesaw Mountain to Prayer Rock. And I proposed to her there. She was happy I proposed. She was not super happy how sweaty she was. But, um, but anyway, I was like, this is where I prayed for you. And, uh, and so I would just encourage you, like, have one of those, those places. And, and actually, if you've never thought about having one of those places, I want to give you kind of a Kind of a strong statement here, but Matthew Henry said, people do not, who do not wish to be alone, who cannot enjoy themselves in solitude, when they have no one to talk with, no one's company to enjoy, except that of God and their own hearts, are not Christ's followers. I just want to let that sink in. That's a strong statement. But I'm not sure that I completely disagree. If you have no desire to pull away and be with the Father you're going to spend eternity with because of the Son's love and sacrifice and, and through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, you may very well not know him. You may just know of him. I think these moments are as essential as drinking water and breathing oxygen for us followers of the Lord. I'm so thankful that my Savior loved to be with his Father. I'm so thankful that the veil has been torn and access into the Holy of Holies has been granted all of the time. That's how we can be commanded to pray without ceasing. But after we pray, it's time to go back to work. Now, we should be continually in that state of communion with the Lord, but after these concerted times of prayer and worship, we go back. Here we call it scattering. And so he goes, and this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time because um, what happens is that when evening came, he was there alone, but by the, but in, in verse 24, but the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And I think what we're going to see in these storms is just a few things that Jesus sent his disciples into the storm. I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. He protected them from the crowds and sent them into a storm. Neither time did he remove his hand of protection. It's the same steady hand regardless of the circumstance. And the disciples... If you notice, they're still doing what he said. They're trying to go to the other side. They didn't turn back from the storm. Jesus is going to come to them, and he's going to reveal himself in a way he couldn't have revealed himself without the storm. And Jesus gave them an opportunity to have their faith built. So 
I think this is really important um, that we square up with the idea that Jesus sent his disciples into the storm. If you imagine if Jesus was on trial for this and uh, he, he would totally be like convicted if they were like, did you, did you, send, them into the, did you send, send them to the boat? Yes, I did. Did you know a storm was happening? Yes, I did. Did you make the storm? Yes, I did. <laughs> like, I mean, like, like, there's no escaping here. And so we can look at this and we can say, man, that's just like kind of mean that he would do this, that he would send them. And by the way, like, this isn't just, this is like analogous. Like he sends us into storms too. And he, he, he means to do it, but he's not mean in doing it. And so I think this shows us some other things besides God might be playing games with us. It also smashes the idea of the retribution principle and prosperity theology. Prosperity theology and the retribution principle teach that if you're doing the right thing, you never have this moment. This moment happened because they were doing the right thing. He told them, get into the boat, and that's when this moment happened. And so I think one of the things that this story teaches us is that the retribution principle and prosperity theology are just bunk, like they, they, they don't work. Because if they had disobeyed him, they would have avoided this storm, but they obeyed him, and that's why they got put in this storm. And so if you're going through one of these storms right now, and you're like, where did I go wrong? Maybe you didn't. Maybe he puts you in this storm. And I think that's really, really important for us to, to realize. I mean, who in the Bible wasn't in a storm? When you think about it, um, Job, Jonah, the Israelites, Paul, Stephen, uh, Jesus. I mean, the whole book of Esther is about a storm, if you really think about it. Um, the whole, I mean, the whole Bible, everyone is sent to a storm. The, the last lines to the famous um, hall of faith, Hebrews 11, it says this, Others suffered mocking, flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And look at the last line, verse 38. Of whom the world was not worthy. Maybe this says that the people God puts in storms are people that he really likes. These people were in terrible storms and they're honored in such a way that God ordained that it be written about them, the world was not worthy of these people. And that is strong. Now, I can't tell you all the reasons why he would put you or them in a storm. But I think Charles Stanley, the, the late great Charles Stanley, he did have some, some really succinct ideas, three little ideas of like what happens when God puts us in a storm. One, he can use storms to bring us to repentance. This is more of a Jonah idea. So like maybe you put yourself in the storm. Maybe this isn't exactly this story. Maybe yours is more of a Jonah story. You were disobedient. You have been disobedient. And there is a storm raging in your life. Well, that storm has been brought about by the Lord to bring you to repentance, to bring you back to God or to bring you to God in the first place. Uh, the, but if you're in a storm or have been in a storm or will be in a storm that God himself has put you in, it's partly to grow you spiritually. Trials are gonna force us to rely on the strength of the Lord, but not just that. 
And this is, to me, this is like, um, if, if Tara Lee Cobble was up here talking to you, she would talk about the God shot. How when she gets done with the passage, she's like, what's my picture of God in there? What's something I didn't know about the Lord that stood out? And to me, this is the biggest thing in this whole passage, that without this storm, they couldn't have seen Jesus for who he is. They needed the storm. God reveals things about himself in storms that he could not otherwise reveal, even if you've heard it in a sermon 20 times. And I think that's so, so important. And as they're in this storm, I like that when, when evening came, they were, they were uh, there he was alone, verse 24, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land. It was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves for the wind was against it. Why was it a long way from the land? Because they didn't stop trying to go where he told them to go. I don't know what the dialogue was on the boat, I don't know if there was finger pointing or name calling or sailors talking like sailors do. I don't know like I don't know what all was happening on that boat, but what I do know is they didn't quit. And I think that grit is a mark that all Christians bear. We I mean we come from humble beginnings, y'all. And the grit that we have because of who our savior is and what he's done for us should be unmatched. And these guys are starting to embody that. And, and then look at in verse 25. In the fourth watch of the night, the fourth watch, that's between 3 and 6 a.m. Now remember, he pulled away in the evening. He saw them in the evening struggling. He has let them struggle for hours but tell me that won't preach. Like, how many storms do we go through that we're like, does he not even know what I'm going through? He does. He was watching them. He knew what they were going through. It just wasn't the right time for him to show up. And so he, he but, but he does show up. And he shows up because 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so I imagine the temptation here was to jump ship or to give up or to try to cut course and go, go to the, the land closer, but they, they, they weren't giving up. I bet they were close. And then here he comes. And that's how his timing always seems to be. And Jesus reveals himself as God to them. When the disciples, I love this, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And then, so not only are they terrified, it's, we're going to double down here. Not only are they terrified, but they're going to cry out in fear. But here's that word again, immediately. When you see immediately in Jesus, he's protecting. Immediately, as their wits were about to break, he speaks to them, and he says those three things. Take heart, it is I, do not fear. And I told you just briefly, I said he revealed himself as, to God as them. Because you know what? Who can walk on the waters? 
This is, for those of you that are reading the Bible through in 90 days or 30 days, 30 days, so strong. A couple of you are doing that. Um, 30 days, 90 days, 365 days. Um, like, you, you, this, this is like a head nod to you because you've read these verses. Job 9.8. Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? Only God can trample the waves of the sea. You also read this, and you read this on day one, Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was what? Was hovering over the waters. Who hovers over waters? Who tramples the waves? Only God does that. And he walked up to them, and they were terrified, and they called out in fear. They called out in fear, and, and they were in this necessary storm, and they need the storms because without the storm, they couldn't see the storm walker. And that's who he is. He is the one who treads upon the storms. If the waves in this story represent troubles in life and troubles that he allows us to be in, he puts us in, he tramples on the troubles. And they had no chance of even swimming in the troubles. The power, the strength of Jesus, they needed this storm in order to see the storm walker. And they could have, they could have, like, I think there's only a few options when we have these storms. I, I think they could have um, they could have just like held on to the boat and just seen where it had gone, and that's kind of scary because they probably would would have crashed um, or sank. They could have jumped overboard to see if they could make make it to land. But they the Lord had let them get so deep in this storm, their only hope was God showing up. And if you've ever been in that moment, you're so deep in the storm, your only hope is God showing up. He's got you right where he wants you to reveal himself to you in a way that he's never done before. And, and, and this all happened in the dark. I don't know if you've ever been approached in the dark by somebody. There was one, one night I was taking the trash out to the road, and we live on a main road, and so I'm lugging the trash cans down, and, uh, and I get down to the edge of the road, and it's like very dark, but it's also a weird night because there's no cars on the road. And it's like a pretty busy road, and I was like, this is weird. And I get down there, and there's a man across the street walking on the sidewalk. And... Uh, and I can really, I really can't see him. I see his silhouette, and uh, and I'm like, man, this is this is strange. And as soon as I get down to the curb with the trash cans, he's straight across the street from me. And then, without neither of us have said anything, right? We're just like, I don't know what he's doing. And he he turns immediately and walks straight to me. And like. Fight or flight, I guess we're just like, it's, I don't know, I think God wires us that way. It, without even meaning to, I started walking towards him. And, uh, and I was like, I was like, it was like an out-of-body experience. Like every hair on my body is like sticking straight up. And I was like, I was like it's going down in the road. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know what's happening. And so he starts coming right towards me. I mean, I am like scared, y'all. I'm like scared. And he's coming right towards me. But, but I, and so I call out like the most ferocious thing I can think. Can I help you? Like, what is that? Like, that's not scary. Um, do you need something? And we get, we get within 
a little more than an arm's length of each other. And he cuts and goes this way. And I was like, I want to go home now. Like it was like, it was like, it was very unnerving. I still think every time I take the trash down, I think, is dude going to be across the street tonight? Like every time. And so this, that time's like infinity is what these guys are thinking when Jesus, the storm walker, walks up. Because, because think about it. He's scarier than the storm. And why is he scarier than the storm? Because he's bigger than the storm. He walks on the storm. There's like fear of people. There's like fear, but then there's fear of God. And that's a whole nother plane. And that's, that's what's happening in, in this moment. I think... I mean, you think about it, they're like, the storm may take my life, but no telling what this guy will do with it. And, and I think there has, to be, there has to be bravery mixed in with our faith. The first thing he does when he shows up, look at it, the first thing he does is not stop the storm at least outwardly, the first thing he does when he shows up is he addresses the biggest storm, the one that makes us make the stupidest decisions, the one in our heart. The storm is still raging. It's clear that he's got it under control, but it's still trashing the disciples and thrashing us when we're in it. But what does he do? He says, take heart. Be, he's like, be brave, little ones. I'm here. And then he gives a clear Old Testament reference. I'm talking burning bush reference here, like clear reference. He says, if this was in Hebrew, he would be saying, I am who I am is here. And then he ends it with this punctuation. So don't be afraid. I am... I love this this command of Jehovah Shalom has it all under control. I haven't shared this story with many of you in a long time, but um, I think it's appropriate for tonight. In 2020, October of 2020, I was uh, I accepted the call to come on staff here, and I knew it was God's will, and I knew it was time, and I was stepping into something incredible, and this was going to be so exciting to be with you. Um, and then November 15th, 2020, was my first official day on staff, and uh, and. Tuesday nights were my, still are, like my, my, my pride and joy. I just love being with y'all on Tuesday nights, adjusting to the new staff and new environment. That was taking some getting used to, but like being with you was amazing. Um, and, uh, and at the same time, we were doing this little restoration on, on a barn that's at our house, and we were doing this, this project, me and my dad and a guy named James. And, uh, and almost, a, almost three years ago today, it was... It was January 29th of 2021. Uh, it was a cold January day. I was taking a, uh, a class, um, like an online certification for, for some personality stuff that we do here. And, uh, and so I was taking that certification. It was a Friday. I, James was at the barn. I walked out on Friday at lunchtime to help James. And we were, we were using a finish nailer. And uh, we, we, I mean, we, we rebuilt the barn. We so many nails, so many screws, so much wood, so many saws. And we were almost done. And I was putting up soffit and fascia on the outside of the barn. And the first nail that I put in, it went in kind of crooked. 
And, uh, and so I take my safety glasses off because it was in the shadows and I look and I'm like, man, that's so weird. And I put the nail gun up in the corner and I fired it again and I saw the nail flicker like down by my forearm and I was like, that is so weird. I think that nail like ricocheted. Um, and, uh, and I had not had that happen in the thousands of nails that we had, we had used on this barn. And, uh, and I didn't hear it hit the floor below me. So I went to tap my jacket. I'm up on a little step ladder. I went to tap my jacket and I couldn't see my hand. And so I, uh, I reached up and the nail hit me in my palm when I got to my eye. And so I, it, was, it was like, it was terrible. And so I, cl- I have a picture, I was gonna show it, but I had two votes for no out of, out of, out of two people I asked. And so, okay, so we're not showing it. But, um, but anyway, it's not that bad. Um, I mean, wasn't in your eye. Like it was, I mean, so, I, so anyway, I climbed down the ladder and, uh, and I dropped the nail gun and the pain sets in and James eventually gets me to the ER. And when I'm at the ER, um, I didn't call Heather cause I wasn't sure how serious it was. I didn't want to alarm her. And, uh, and so I, uh, I didn't call her, but somehow Heather shows up in the ER and, uh, she gets there, and a, f- a family friend of ours who's a retired surgeon, he got there. It's at the height of COVID. And, uh, and so for seven hours, I'm in the ER waiting for uh, an eye surgeon to get there. And when the eye surgeon finally shows up, um, it, it's, uh, it, I, I hear all the things, and um, I learned that like, the nail has gone through the globe completely. It's, out, it's, it's, it's going through a muscle that's in the corner of my eye, and so they're going to have to do this pretty extensive surgery to try to get it out. When they get it out, I could lose my sight in the process, and if so, they would probably have to remove my eye as well. And so then they're like, are you ready to go to surgery? And I'm like, Sure. Um, but anyway, my phone, I wasn't looking at it because it's hard to look at things with a nail in your eye, but my phone, my phone was down by my side on the bed and it never stopped vibrating. Hundreds of people texting saying that they were praying. And, uh, and I went and, and as I was going into surgery, um, my surgeon was a, was a lady and a lot of the nurses were ladies and, and they did an amazing job. I kind of just wanted a dude for just a second and I feel this hand on my, my trap and he squeezes my trapezoid and, uh, and I hear this man's voice and, uh, and, and he's telling me what he's going to do to put me under and I said, I'm scared. And he said, I know. He said, it's, it's scary. He said, I would be too. He said, but I'm going to be with you when I put you under and I'm going to be with you when you wake up, and I'm going to stay with you the whole time. And it was like, if you can cry out of one eye, like, <laughs> it, was, it was so sweet. It was so sweet. Um, it was kind of like my anesthesiologist was like, take heart. I'm here. Don't be afraid. And like, it was just so sweet. But look, the, 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 Jesus, Jesus is, is greater than my anesthesiologist, and he says this to us in these moments. The nail's still in the eye, and he says these things to us. And, and the scary thing is, though, yes, he's king, but the king may put you in a storm. And over the next several months, I was met by the Lord over and over again in the healing process. 
the sweetness and the kindness of the Lord met me over and over and over again through through helping cover medical bills to um, to, to to making like rekindling my love for Heather because she was so attentive and so kind and um, and she was just so she was so bold. In fact, she walked into the ER. I thought she would be freaked out. She walked into the ER and she was saying, James one two through four, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But I still, I still really, like, we hadn't really made it to the other side yet in that storm. Things here were good, but they were hard. My eye was messed up. I thought I was doing all the right things by coming here, and I thought it would be such smooth sailing. And yet it was like this storm that just kept lingering. And I kept waiting to get to the other side because that's what he does, right? And then one Tuesday night, I was preaching and I would have these floaters. It was in my left eye. I have these floaters everywhere. And floaters are basically just blood in the back of your eye. I know that's kind of gross, but again, it's my eye, not yours. Um, like a lot blood in the back of your eye, and that's, it takes a long time for that to go away in your eye. It doesn't, it doesn't absorb it very easy. Um, and so I had these floaters in the back of my eye, and sometimes it would do like real Picasso things to people's faces, um, and that was kind of fun. Um, but like it was just very interesting. And, uh, and yet one Tuesday night, the strangest thing happened, and it only happened that night. I was preaching, and everybody had this reddish-purple hue to them. And this, this blood had gotten in the back of my eye and had gotten to the spot where it covered everybody I could see had this purplish-red hue to them. And in that moment, as I'm preaching, it was like, a, it was like a, the Lord just met me. And he said, that's how I see you. I see you covered in the blood of my son. Every time I look at you, every time I look at, at these other children of mine, that's what I see. I see them washed. And I worshiped in that moment. And that's how this story ends when they get to the other side. And that was kind of how I knew I think we're to the other side. That whole storm, that whole saga that was months on end became this beautiful reminder of the Lord sees us like no one else. And we're constantly marked by this hue of the blood of his son when we are followers of Christ. And then you, you know how the story ends in these last few verses. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. When Jesus got, or when Peter got out of the boat, he was so captivated by the storm walker that everything else just went away. But then he notices the wind and the waves and he sinks and he gets rebuked 
And I don't know if you've paid attention to this rebuke much, but it's very interesting. He says, oh, you of little faith. I'm like, 11 other dudes were still in the boat. <laughs> like, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? And here's what I think happened. I don't think Peter doubted Jesus for a minute. Jesus was doing fine. Like, was his hair even wet? You know, like, he was, like, doing fine. He meant to pass them by. He was doing fine. I don't think he doubted Jesus for a minute. What I think he, what I think he doubted, like, not Jesus taking care of Jesus. I think he knew, like, this guy's strong. I think what he doubted was, yeah, but I'm not. Can he take care of me? I think, I think that's, that's the big question here that, that he doubted. He doubted, like, uh, can, 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 he really, can he really carry me through? Yes, he can carry himself through, but, like, I'm kind of a mess. And I love the, the, the benediction that I give sometimes at weddings in Jude 24 and 25. I don't have it on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you. Now to him who is able, listen to this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. I think... I think what we have here is this incredible picture of the gospel. It's that ultimate, not just getting out of the boat, but that ultimate, like, he saved me. He, he is saving me, and he is going to ultimately save me. I will get to the other side, and, and, I, and he knows I'm a hot mess, and, and he's going to do it. I just need to keep looking at him. And so as we kind of look at how this ends, you know, they, they worship after they get to the other side. But here's the question. Verse 32. This is so, this is very interesting. And I think it's on like the, when you go into heaven, um, like the TVs, definitely going to have this scene. Um, that was a joke. Didn't go well. It's fine. Um, and when they got into the boat, Matthew, tell us how. Like, we want to know, like, what happened? Have you thought about this? Like, how? Okay, he sinks, and when they get into the boat, details, we need to know. How did this happen? Here's what I think. And, and you get, like, we'll, we'll figure out if I'm right when we get to heaven. I think they walked back. I think they walked back to the boat. Now, Jesus may have been helping Peter walk back to the boat. If I was Jesus, I would definitely help him. We know he's going to waver a little. But like, how did they get back in the boat? And the reason I think that they walked back is because what a picture to Peter and the others. Jesus reveals himself as almighty, all-powerful, worthy of all fear and praise. He is God. And he's compassionate, trustworthy, He's building our faith. He's our deliverer. 
He's not only the one who calls Peter to follow him out of the boat, but he sustains Peter when he falls and he delivers him safely back aboard. I think that's the picture of the gospel. He calls us out. He pulls us up when we fail because we will fail. He's constantly building our faith. And then he gets us back to the boat. And then he gets us to the other side. We really have a very, very small role. And so I guess I would just ask if you're, if you're in a storm, what is it that God is trying to show you that he couldn't otherwise show you without this storm? If you've got a friend in a storm, what is God trying to show them that he couldn't show them otherwise? And has he shown up yet and brought his peace and his courage? Because I promise he sees you in the storm. But there seems to be a very pointed moment when he's tangible in the storm. Beg him, ask him to come and show up. And if you're tempted to go down with a boat or to jump ship, don't. Call out instead to the only one who can safely bring you to shore. And if you're going to be brave in anything, my friends, be brave in the stormwalker. Let me pray for us. Father, you bring us into these storms. And if we put ourselves in a storm, Lord, you are waiting to hear us call out because you want to show us something about you that we otherwise couldn't see. Lord, would you reveal yourself to us? And as you reveal yourself to us, would you call out, Lord, for us to take heart, tell us it's you, speak those powerful words of do not be afraid as you trample on the waves. Lord, may we not just know about you and know that you're capable to trample on storms, but Lord, may we see you and experience you as the one who calms the waves, but not just calms the waves, calms our fears and gets us to the other side that we may worship you. And when we fall, Lord, may we cry out to you and may you pick us up for your name in your glory. Amen.